Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Gelb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com, to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. Our guest today is Matt Nichols, founder of Commerce Ventures. Commerce Ventures backs entrepreneurs from every background, building the infrastructure for tomorrow's industries. Some of their investments include Shop Talk, Trove, Simon, and Retail Next. In this episode, Matt and I focus our time deconstructing Web3 and seeing how Web3 can be impactful to brands and change retail. Without further ado, here's Matt. Matt, thank you so much for joining me here today. How are you? Doing well. Excited to be here. No, I, I really appreciate it. So how'd you get your start in venture capital? So my first job out of college was actually in investment banking. I had Morgan Stanley kind of at the height of the first internet boom. So I joined Morgan Stanley's tech group in 1999. So I spent a couple of years doing sort of tech investment banking through the boom and then initial bust. And then I actually had the opportunity to... Uh, to jump into Morgan Stanley Venture Partners, which was Morgan Stanley's in-house venture capital arm, which is really where I learned venture capital in the early 2000s in Silicon Valley. So that's where I started. That's really cool. That's really cool. And what was the inspiration behind Commerce VC? So uh, it was started by my partner, Dan, who had worked together. We'd worked together at, at Highland Capital for, for many years out of Boston. And really the vision for the fund was uh, twofold. One, that sector-focused funds were a really attractive way to differentiate oneself in the market where there's more and more venture capitalists. So having a, a sector focus really made sense. And our specific focus on commerce technology, broadly retail tech and fintech, just had a belief that how consumers were shopping, how they were paying for things, and the whole you know fintech ecosystem were all uh, changing at a, at a pretty rapid rate. And that building a sector-focused venture fund focused on kind of how people, we like to say, how they shop, spend, save, and secure their assets. We call it the commerce continuum. And really everything we've done since that uh, has been focused on on that focus. Were you always attracted by those specific verticals itself before you were investing? Yes. So actually, uh, even before the fund was started, uh, the two of us had been focusing on those two areas independently inside of another venture capital firm. So Dan was investing in fintech early on, and I was investing in commerce, you know, next generation players in, in the commerce space. So we were sort of initially doing that in another venture firm, so it was, it was pretty obvious to, to bring that over to the new fund. Why do you think that right now we're such an interesting place when it comes to technological innovation that could be disruptive for retail? There's a couple of different reasons. One, I think some of the standardization of retail platforms, whether it's Shopify or Salesforce Commerce Cloud or some of the, you know, both from the monolithic to kind of the next gen headless players has really allowed retailers to utilize an off the shelf platform and then add all kinds of really exciting tools and technology that can really plug in pretty seamlessly. Whereas if you were to rewind 10 years plus, anytime you were starting to, trying to sell a new technology into a retailer brand, there's a huge amount of integration and and challenges associated with adopting those. So I think there's one is the sort of technology challenge. And two, just you know, an increasing pressure to, to compete with the likes of Amazon and others. And that has been there forever. And I think what's exciting now is your ability to build a brand or a retailer. It's just much easier from a technological perspective. Obviously, lots of other challenges, but at least at, that, at this point, technology has enabled those you know, next generation brands and retailers to be launched in, at a speed which you just couldn't do before. 
Yeah, so I mean, I totally agree with you, and it's something that we certainly uh, talk a lot about on this show about how it's easier than ever to maybe start a brand online or to experience, obviously, with the infrastructure that we have now with Shopify, with AWS, um, and as well as Amazon. Where then do you see the opportunity then, since it is so much easier to launch and brands online? Where do you think on the infrastructure side of things that you're kind of looking at? There's a whole bunch of different categories that we think are, are are really exciting. You know, one I would say is is sort of re-commerce and the used goods space. Uh, you see the sort of explosion of uh, consumers adopting that model. And we believe, you know, the first generation of that was many of these marketplaces, whether it's the real real or Poshmark or others, we're seeing now an increasing interest from retailers and brands to get into that space. So finding ways, if I'm a big retailer or a well-known brand, you know, how do I participate in this use good economy and find ways to offer those offerings to my consumers, not just have them transact with my products on someone else's platform. So with you know folks like Patagonia and Lululemon and Arcteryx and Levi's and many others are now embracing that trend and find ways to serve their customers, given that there is that need for used goods. So I think that's a big category of interest. I would say another is sort of the next generation of you know, the headless platforms for commerce. So you got the big monolith, both Salesforce Commerce Cloud and, and Shopify on the lower end. But I think we're seeing if you are a big retailer or brand, you need more flexibility than those platforms can provide, but you also don't want to build from scratch. So the launch of these headless platforms and all the, your ability to change the front end, change the back end, pull out your inventory system, pull out your checkout is, is more exciting than it's ever been before. So people kind of get the best of uh, best of both worlds, which is an off-the-shelf platform, but get to customize in a way that makes sense for their business. And then I think the, the third era that we're spending a lot of time in is sort of blockchain and crypto and, and how that intersects with with retail. Obviously, lots of hype in the market in those areas, uh, but we think that there are some big opportunities for blockchain and crypto to, to do some things in, in retail that are both uh, exciting to consumers and, and, and potentially happen in the near term. First of all, thanks so much for spelling out really like those three maybe macro categories or just way that you're thinking about when it comes to helping brands and also helping uh, customers uh, just think about the commerce landscape. Within blockchain, this kind of inter- intersection between blockchain and retail, blockchain and payments, where do you think are, are some of the big opportunities? And how does that customer experience, especially like in-store experience, maybe change due to blockchain? Our lens has been, you know, what are some of the real practical applications? What could retailers or brands utilize today? And those are the where we spent most of our time. I think there's some far out things that, that, that one could imagine, but I would say we spend more of our time in the, sort of the here and now. And there's a couple of different categories. So one is clearly authentication. It actually relates back to that use good focus that I had. I think there's a really interesting use case for NFTs and the blockchain generally for authentication of goods, particularly high-priced goods, which give consumers two things, not only sort of a link to the digital identity of this product, and that could be for authenticity, it could be for you know understanding where the product was made, but also give you a digital certificate that can then make that you know, the transacting of that product in the secondary market that much more secure and easy for, for consumers. So I think authentication is, is a big category that is happening today. I would say two of the creation of digital goods. So virtual products that are generated either as sort of a digital twin to a physical good or brand new digital goods that just live in the metaverse, live in gaming. Um, I think there's some big opportunities there. A little bit earlier stage, because I think the challenge there, and we can go into a little more detail, is around sort of interoperability and the ability to bring interesting digital goods into platforms where consumers are already interacting. That's a little bit challenging, uh, but I think we'll see that. And I think the third 
most interesting categories around customer loyalty. And if you think about sort of the, the ethos of Web3, where those who participate early in a community get the benefit of that community over time, I think that's a really interesting application of that for you know, early stage brands where certain consumers or advocates can have an outside impact on that brand and how do you give them the value for being an early advocate of, of growing a brand. So those are a couple of the, the most interesting categories uh, that we're focused on today. No, I mean, yeah, totally. I, I'm always curious about uh, customer loyalty. I mean, what do you think has been broken? Might be the wrong term, but in the Web two era, or just I guess customer loyalty um, as we see it now, what do you think really changes that that Web three can really add towards customer loyalty systems uh, specifically that could really help retailers and brands? I think you know loyalty in the Web two and before era feel very transactional, right? Maybe it's you get a discount for something or you're building up some dollar points that you can then redeem over time. And it just feels very transactional. I think what Web3 does or could do as it relates to loyalty and brands is really making consumers feel like they're a part of the community, part of the company, and they really have a vested upside in those companies being successful. So because all of the, the Web2 use cases, you may get a discount or a credit, but if that brand really takes off, you're no better off than you were before. So I think that's where the real real opportunity is. You know, we've seen this even in you know, other applications. We actually have another company called Bumped that enables stock rewards for big uh, you know, public companies, which can do, has some of the same dynamic because what they found, others have found, is that if, if you have believe that you are an owner in a business in some way, shape, or form, you are going to act in different ways, almost regardless of the amount of ownership you have. And I think Web3 gives you a you know, much more a much lighter weight version of doing that rather than trying to dole out equity to every single consumer who buys a product from your Shopify store. So I think it's really that sense of community and the sort of unbounded upside that you might have if you are an early consumer advocate of a brand that really takes off. I know that your focus... Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. Your focus is not investing in the brands themselves, but more of like the underlying technology. But could you see a world where brands actually pool maybe part of their cap table towards token or or maybe it's a DAO for like the early community members, maybe the early customers that were very excited about the brand coming into existence? Yeah, I think I think there is opportunity to to do that, uh, and whether it's pooled across brands or just. You know, using tokens as a way to you know fund the business at the early days from these the ad advocates. I think there's definitely an opportunity there. Obviously, you know, there's some you know, security laws and such that one has to be careful with if you're trying to do some of those yeah, things. Right. But but sh- short of that, yes, I think there's a big opportunity. I, I think brands today, uh, if you were to start a brand today, given your inability to really target the way you used to on Facebook or other platforms, there's going to need to be another driver of customer acquisition and this could be a pretty powerful one. Yeah, absolutely. Cuz we talk about I feel like maybe the buzzword of 2021 was community. In my opinion, partially or maybe the reason why the brands were talking so much about community was because and we talk about this on the show a lot um, and you just brought it up about how Facebook ads the arbitrage opportunities are are really no more. And so you have to find other ways at the very small stages in order to grow where you maybe have a two high CPAs where it actually makes sense to grow on a Facebook, for example, as a growth marketing agency. And so this, as you say, it could be a way in order to obviously reward people for for being customers, but then to participate in the upside and maybe further incentivize them to be part of the brand or really being part of the community. Yeah, I totally believe that. And I think the community will be at the heart of customer acquisition 
And historically, all you got was a sort of good feeling for participating in this community, but really didn't get any of the upside. And in a world where you have that good feeling of participating in the, the proud like view of being associated with this brand that grows, but add on an economic value onto it, I think it just makes it that much more powerful. No, totally. Backing up a little bit, I know that when you were thinking about different opportunities on this kind of retail and blockchain intersection, another one that you brought up was um, the opportunity to maybe produce a double good and having a digital asset, maybe an NFT version of the physical asset, when, especially when it comes to you know luxury products. How do you also think about how maybe brands, and also obviously in the underlying technology, if it's there or not, for partnerships to participate in different you know, online platforms. So their NFT or unique digital good could be featured in a particular game or you know, something that they actually participate online in. I would start first at like first principles, which is, does one believe that people are going to want to have digital versions of their most beloved brands inside of a online community and i think the answer to that is almost definitively yes right whether it's you know is my kids on roblox if they could have some cool like nike shoes they would absolutely spend their allowance to go try to get those and i think and and whether it's on you know the metaverses games even just like digital social media the ability to show off your physical goods in a digital world i think is almost surely going to be a thing. So if you believe that, then you say, okay, what's the path to getting there? And I think you know the only reason that I, this has not exploded faster, I believe, that the places where people spend their digital time today are largely closed, especially the sort of metaverses, which are you know the gaming platforms. And the ability to get digital products into those gaming platforms is pretty much blocked by whoever the publisher of that game is. I mean, obviously, if you, you, know, you listen to Meta, their belief is they're going to build a huge metaverse. And I think others are eyeing that too. I suspect that those metaverses will be much more open, in which case this barrier that has historically stopped products from getting into these games that are largely closed will start to go away. But I think that's the only thing that's stopping this from happening. You know, it's a little bit cumbersome for brands to get their products into digital spaces. But I think we will see that change relatively quickly because I think consumers want it. And it's a great thing for brands. When you think about the future of, and maybe you hinted at it, but when you think about the future of the metaverse, maybe first of all, maybe we should back up and just say, what is the metaverse? And then as a follow-up question, what does that actually look like? Because as you say, right now, it's it's a lot of kind of closed ecosystems. But do you see it that some of these closed ecosystems are actually going to start opening up? I'm not sure. So I think you've got two things at play, and maybe they will have to if the open metaverses start to take off. So I think I think you if you look at what is Meta's view of um, the metaverse, and I think it's probably something like Ready Player One, right, where you're sort of in this community doing everything open. I think the challenge historically with these kind of very open metaverses is that you kind of show up and don't know what to do. There isn't a lot to do. Whereas the ones that have clearly worked historically have been the games, right? Which is, it's super obvious how you do it. You have a reason to be in there is to play this game, but at the same time, you want to express yourself with products, etc. So I think you will start to see, probably before the, the closed systems open up, I think you'll start to see individual brands striking more deals with more of these gaming platforms, you know, where the, where the activity is happening today. And I think that just will have to happen. You're seeing a little bit in Roblox, Fortnite, etc., but I think you'll see a lot more of that. And then at the same time, you've got this parallel development of these open metaverses. I'm not smart enough to figure out what those are going to look like, but I think people are 
dedicating enough money and effort towards finding something that will really draw consumers in in a more open way that someone will figure it out and then it'll be obvious for, for brands to come in. Yeah, that seems to make sense just in terms of figuring out ways that you can actually open up and have and you've been able to interact with maybe different universes. But also at the same time, I think in a big way, I guess maybe the first step is to have your identity, which includes, you know, maybe all the NFTs you own, for example, going from, you know, metaverse to metaverse. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that will definitely happen, right? Um, as you bring up op- inoperability and ability to bring these you know, digital versions of things authenticated in a real way into those experiences, um, the consumers will love that. We're, we're still a ways out, but I think that will happen. How do you also think about, I know we've talked a little bit about the metaverse, which is fantastic. I love talking about the metaverse. But um, how do you also think about changes in the in-store experiences? Like when a consumer walks into the door of a retail shop, what goes through your mind in terms of opportunity that you're seeing when it comes to this you know, intersection of just te- technology and retail that you think could make a big impact? I think it's a little harder to think through that. I mean, there's some like you can imagine a world where if you have certain brands associated with, with certain NFTs associated with the brand that you get some special experience or concierge service as you walk in. I think that might be a thing. I think probably the probably the most vivid version or most uh, specific version you'll see in store is I think the connection of a physical product to a digital identity, whether it's through QR code or NFC. I think we're just at the early stages of that, where you can walk into a store and you can see the provenance of this, of this shirt. You know which factory was this specific shirt, which factory it was produced in. You know any ecological impact you might want to like to view. You could see that just by scanning the item. So I think I think that's probably the most vivid thing you'll see in the store, which is you know so a link of these physical products to their digital identity, which goes all the way back to you know. The factory that it was built in. So that's probably the most meaningful thing you'll see. I think in, in the CPG world, also you'll you'll see that connection. Less so for provenance and things like that, but more so for building a direct interaction between that brand and the end consumer for repurchase or for other reasons to build a you know a direct brand through the physical product. So I think those are the things you'll probably see. I, I don't think a lot of those things require the blockchain, um, but sort of tangentially. Uh, probably most relevant. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's really helpful. Um, do you do you think that you know brands of today need to embrace Web three and you know thinking through all these different topics like you know maybe introducing NFTs or tokens? Do you think that brands of today need to embrace Web three in order to win in this next generation? Right now, I think if you say need, I think the answer is no. Like, do they absolutely need to? I think if you are an early brand, especially the established brands, but if I'm an early brand and I don't have all those weapons of Facebook targeting, I think you would be missing a big opportunity if you did not, right? You're building your community from scratch. You have the most ability to give out you know, effectively equity to your community at the early stages. I think those are the brands that have the, the biggest opportunity. But I think what they have to be doing is experimenting, right? And understanding the best ways, if I'm an existing brand, to take my address, I'm going Dolce Gamana, I'm taking this dress, and how do I create this digital twin or digital product? And how do consumers want to interact with that? I think you're missing out today because if you don't learn today, when it becomes mandatory, you won't have the understanding to be able to take advantage of wherever the market goes. I know a lot of folks 
talk about uh, blockchain. You think that blockchain actually won't be able to, or you don't actually need blockchain to solve this problem. What we have maybe in Web2 will suffice. Is there anything that kind of comes to mind in that? Yeah, I, mean, I actually think one of the, the most talked about applications, which I actually think probably doesn't need as much, it doesn't need blockchain as, as much as people think it does, is sort of like supply chain traceability. And a lot of people talk about, hey, I'd love to like, put all this data on the blockchain of where this product traversed so that anybody in the community, consumers, suppliers, et cetera, could see that. Well, in theory, that sounds interesting. I think many of the challenges that people have had with supply chain technology broadly, you know, how do you get everybody in the sort of the chain, pun intended, to participate in this ecosystem doesn't really change whether you're using blockchain or a standard database. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. I think two, you know, really ensuring if you have this digital identity, how do you make sure it's tied to the to the physical product? Because there's lots of ways that you know, those two could get separated and then the value goes away. I think you know, in a couple cases, things like diamonds or other products, which are actually you with with a bunch of really interesting identify, identification technologies, you can keep tying them back to the blockchain. Those are probably the more the, the the bigger applications. I just think supply chain, you know, the problem is huge, and it's not the public visibility of the blockchain; it's the getting everybody on board. So it feels like the use of blockchain for that is a little bit a little bit overblown. What's your due diligence process when you're looking at um, opportunities and meeting with founders within that are focused on building blockchain technologies with maybe retail applications? I mean, I, I think it's probably not that much different than anything we've looked in kind of the retail tech landscape, which is, you know, our, our, our focus has always been with a sector lens applied to it. And I think our ability to connect with many of our friends in the brand and retailer space and really just talk to them one on one about, are you currently or are you going to adopt this sort of technology or would you under what circumstances? So most of our diligence revolves around talking to those brands and retailers who might be the ultimate customers or users of this technology and really get a sense for where their head is, right? And is, it, is this a today problem? Is it a tomorrow problem? Or is this a, hey, never makes the top 10 priorities so it doesn't get traction? So I think the bulk of our diligence revolves around really understanding the market and the customers and trying to understand whether they're ready. Because I think for a lot of these things, it's almost certainly going to happen. But your success of your investment is predicated on getting the timing right, which is a little bit trickier to to figure out. Yeah, no, I had on uh, Mike Gaffari a couple months ago, and he was saying how the one thing about the metaverse and blockchain technology, I mean, maybe it's having this moment right now, but we don't quite know when the penny's going to drop when it comes to large-scale adoption. And I think that's part of the big if, obviously, when investing, because it seems like it's still early, but maybe it's right on time, so it's really, really tough to know. Yeah, that's why we focused on, well, there's lots of applications that you could pursue over time, You know, trying to focus on who, what are the near-term you know, short-term applications of this technology that brands are doing today. I mean, people are already issuing NFTs for expensive watches, right? In conjunction, so that actually the activity is happening today. So, could you imagine more of it happening? Of course, and you don't have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops, but, you know, mental hoops to, to 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 understand where that could go in the short term. What else do you think about the current, you know, NFT market? You know, obviously there's a very big rush. It's very exciting that's been um, happening over the past uh, year or two. Um, how do you think about, you know, NFTs maybe that are here to stay versus ones that aren't? 
I think most of the NFTs don't make sense. But that's not to say that I don't think NFTs make sense because I actually think they do. So I think we are at this experimentation phase where we're seeing huge numbers of things that people are trying from art to you know crypto punks to board apes to what what have you really to see what's going to stick. I think today the prices of those assets are driven more by speculation rather than what's actually going to stick. So I think we just need time to sort of cure that out. But do I think that digital art enabled through NFT is going to be a big thing? Absolutely. Yes. Right. So I think that's, that's one category that I think is going to take off. And I think there will be other interesting categories that, that we haven't even imagined yet. And then there's a bunch of enabling technologies like, you know, I imagine an NFT for an individual collectible product and that collectible product can live in a vault somewhere while you and I are trading the digital version of that product that's backed by the physical in a way that would have been super painful if I was sending you a trading card and then you were sending a trading card to somebody else. So I think those sorts of applications are, are much more near and valuable to consumers. But then there'll be the whole thing, the whole set of, of NFTs that we would have thought were stupid and end up being actually lasting, have lasting value. So uh, I think it's just too early to tell. I agree with you that I think obviously NFTs are here to stay. I do think though only a small percentage of the current NFTs are here to stay. How do you describe like, you know, when talking to some of my older family members who are like, oh my gosh, why do we people even pay for NFTs or or what's even the attraction? You spend a lot of time in this world. How do you justify anyone that's maybe bearish on NFT overall? Um, how do you think about why someone would purchase an NFT and also what it symbolizes? I was looking for analogies because that's just easier for people to understand. I think trading cards are the, the easiest analogy to give to anybody who you know doesn't believe in NFTs because I think it's in some ways the same thing, right? It, there's no intrinsic value in, into the product itself, but the uniqueness and the rareness of that product is what drives value and the overall community's view of that value is what drives the value. And I think NFTs are simply a digital version of that. So I think that's one way to describe sort of a pure NFT, not not tied to any physical product. I think the authentication use case for NFT is a little bit easier to explain, which is this is a digital certificate. Think of it as your GIA certificate for a digital GIA certificate for a diamond, um, which is a little bit easier for people to understand. But I think that's the analogy I typically use is the, is the trading card analogy, uh, where something has value even though it's, there's no underlying intrinsic value to the product. Totally. And I also appreciate you, that analogy with trading cards. Um, I don't think we've had another person uh, bring up that analogy before, so that's that's really helpful. How do you also, just for brands that maybe don't quite understand why you know owning a digital wallet is how powerful that is in terms of also the customer identification that you get with it, talk to me a little bit about how you think about why if you introduce like tokens and and they're actually part of your community, like why is it actually a lot more powerful maybe than you know an access, for example, to an email? I think what's interesting about blockchain and crypto is that while in some ways your identities are anonymous, the activity is fully traceable. Like all the transactions that happen of this good, you are in the plain open view for everybody to see. So if you were to say, hey, if you were Gucci or Hermes or any brand, wouldn't you be interested in understanding where all of your products since the dawn of time have gone? Who has them now? What, which hands did they, they trade, that they pass through before getting to their ultimate sort of owner? Uh, and with some additional technology, would you have the ability to interface and communicate with folks in that chain? It's a pretty powerful concept in a way that, you know, email addresses is relatively 
simple and, and, and really doesn't give you a sense for what's going on in your community. So uh, that's probably what I would, would say and try to describe it. But we're sort of at still at the nascent stage of like, it's not clear how brands could do it today. But I think in the future, we'll find more ways that they can utilize that understanding of what's happening in the blockchain to really understand their customers in a, in a much better way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way to describe it. As you say, this is still very much, we're still very much on like the tip of the iceberg with this. We're still trying to understand what the use cases could be and how powerful it could be to actually have a wallet and what that actually could um, unlock uh, for a brand. What do you think is one thing about blockchain and crypto that you think is maybe largely misunderstood by people that are either have an understanding of it or think they have an understanding of it or people that don't? I think it probably goes back too many people try to come up with use cases for the blockchain or crypto where you know a standard database would just suffice. I think people are trying to find too many use cases for crypto and blockchain and there really have to be important elements of the use case that make it valid and and frankly worth the overhead of doing it. Um, I think this you know, I didn't, you know, idea of, of, of community makes sense, authentication makes sense. If there's some reason why everybody in the world needs to see how these transactions are playing out and a central identity or central authority doesn't make a lot of sense, that's powerful. But I think there's, there's an over, overuse and you know, overstretching of how to you know, find new applications for crypto beyond where it really makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally, and that probably makes your job a bit harder since you have a lot of a lot of different opportunities, and you're kind of seeing what actually uh, could be the right use cases or not. What's one book that has inspired you professionally, and one book that has inspired you personally? I think one book on professional. I'm not sure whether inspire is the right word, but I just that resonated with me. So I was a CEO of a, uh, a startup for a number of years, and I read Ben Horowitz's "The Hard Thing About Hard Things," and it was the one book that, like, I felt like it really described the startup CEO or startup executive journey, and like just how brutally hard it is and i think it, it it inspires me to back the founders that we back today both my experience there and just being reminded of it by reading that book in a way that it is just so hard to, to, to build these startups and a sort of appreciation for the ceos who do that and our desire as venture capitalists to support them with both capital which is probably the easier part but also just support and understanding and help um i think it, you know, really aspires me on on the uh, on the professional front. So I don't know, that's probably my, my choice on the on the professional front. Maybe it's on the on the same realm of like just you know getting through and making it endurance. That you know the, the story of Shackleton's journey through I think it was the South Pole and and just like the perseverance and leadership of someone who like going through that journey. I was reminded of it because they found his boat like I don't know, two weeks ago. And so that journey of almost all was lost and then you still came out victorious, I think was, 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 was pretty inspiring from a personal perspective. My final question to you is, what is one piece of advice that you have for founders who are building? I think it's really to spend time with the customers and really try to understand their problems rather than trying to create a solution and then go looking for a problem. And I think it, it particularly resonates for me inside of kind of those founders who are selling into retailers and brands. Because it's so obvious as we talk to these retailers and brands, if you if you aren't one of the top one, two, or three priorities for these customers, you just can't get the time of day. And I see so many founders struggle with you know a problem they think is important 
but haven't truly vetted it with those customers and understand not only it is a, is it a problem, but is it a top one, two, or three problem for a certain customer set? And I think just doing your work to really understand that rather than spending huge amounts of time sort of beating your head against the wall and not being able to get to the, the executives because you know, even if it is an important problem, it's not so important that they need to drop everything to, to meet with you and go hear about some crazy startup and why you should pay money for to buy their solution. Matt, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun chatting. Mike, thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, love the show and uh, I was so happy to be on it. So thanks for taking time with me. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Matt. I hope you all enjoyed listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter, at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone.